This morning we are uh, wrapping up our series called Encounters with Jesus with this look at Zacchaeus. And then next week we're uh, beginning a, a rather extended study of 1 Peter entitled Everyday Church. And so I hope you'll be here next week to start that um, together. Now let me pray for us as we get into this passage. Father, we believe that we do not necessarily need to invite you here because you are here already. You have created us. You know us. You know what's gone on in our weeks. You know what's gone on this morning. You know what we're thinking. And Lord, that's a threatening thought because oftentimes what's going on in our hearts and our minds is something that we don't want anyone to see. We don't want anyone to know. Everyone who enters this room has baggage. What we've done, what's been done to us, we've often lost our way or we've walked away intentionally from even what we think to be right. Some of us are cynical. Some of us are suspicious of the church, suspicious of you. And we bring our worries, we bring our fears, we bring our hopes to you. We open our hearts up and our minds up to you believing that you know them already. And I pray that as we go through this time, as, as you minister to us through this story, that we would see that that shouldn't be a scary, threatening time, but a time of healing, a time of freedom, a time where our shame is done away with. And Lord, would you do that in no small part in each of our hearts this morning? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you grew up watching uh, TV in the late 70s and early 80s, as I did, TV was a little bit different back then. You could jump into a season or, or a show at any point in the show because each of the episodes had a beginning and a middle and an end. And so you could start watching Magnum P.I., for instance, in season three, and you wouldn't miss anything. You would get to know the characters and everything would happen that you needed to know in that one particular episode. We watch uh, Little House on the Prairie with our kids, and it's so funny. We always try to pick out who's the character that they're going to introduce in this one episode that the Ingalls apparently know very well, and then we never see them again. There's no story arc in the, in the season, or even the series, per se. But in the golden age of TV, that is now, you can't do that. You can't start The Wire in season three, because you'll miss so much. You can't start Arrested Development from anything except from episode one because all of the jokes that they tell for the rest of the series are built in those first couple of episodes. They do these callbacks four episodes uh, after the joke has been set up. Now, Luke isn't all that funny. There's not a lot of jokes in the gospel, but there are a lot of callbacks. There are a lot of things that us jumping into this sermon into this particular text in chapter 19 is difficult because in 15 or 20 minutes we can't tell the whole story that Luke has been telling. Take this chapter that we just read or part of this chapter, the story of Zacchaeus. It does make sense in and of its own, but there's a fuller meaning when you look back throughout the whole text of the gospel of Luke, particularly in chapter 18. And We see in chapter 18 the parable of the tax collector, of a tax collector, the hated person in uh, in the Jewish thought, receiving the kingdom, someone who no, no one would anticipate getting religion comes in to the kingdom. 
It's he, rather than this very religious person looking at the tax collector with scorn, who gets Jesus, who encounters him, who understands grace, not the religious person. And then you have in chapter 18 a very rich person who meets Jesus but won't receive the kingdom, won't receive Jesus as, for, as who he is because he's so tied to his money. He won't untangle himself from his wealth, and so he misses out on Jesus. He misses out on grace. Now here in chapter 19, we have someone who's both a tax collector and very wealthy. And so if you read chapter 18, we should be wondering, well, how is this going to go? But we also saw in chapter 18, which we looked at just a few weeks ago in this series, Encounters with Jesus, a blind beggar who meets Jesus, who encounters him and receives his salvation. He's poor, and Zacchaeus is very rich, but they are both moral and spiritual outsiders. For different reasons, they were scorned, barely tolerated by polite society. They were both shunned. But what we see, and this is why I love the Gospel of Luke, perhaps more than any other book in the Bible, is that you see over and over Jesus moving towards the outcast, toward the despised, toward people who are least expected to find themselves next to this rabbi, this holy man. And it seems as if Luke is painting this picture of Jesus that's quite contrary to what we would expect, quite contrary to Christianity as it's presented in our society. This holy man, rabbi, God in the flesh, hangs out with notorious sinners. And beyond that, we find these notorious sinners opening themselves up to God and receiving salvation. It's a deeply condensed, that is this story of Zacchaeus, is a deeply condensed version of what Jesus' ministry is all about and who he likes to hang around with. So we're going to look, after that rather extended introduction, at three very short points. Who was Zacchaeus? And what did Jesus say to him that was so earth-shattering? And how did it change him? So first of all, who is Zacchaeus? Well, if you grew up in a, a Baptist Sunday school like I did, then Zacchaeus is a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Anyone? Anyone recognize that? Okay, see, a lot of you. So, Matt, where's Matt? Maybe we can put that in the repertoire in coming weeks. I think that would be fun. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. But Luke doesn't tell us that he wanted to see Jesus because he knew he was the Lord or because he knew that Jesus was the Savior or anything positive like that. It just says very generically, very plainly, he wanted to see who Jesus was. It sounds like he basically just wanted to see what all the fuss was about. But his curiosity gets the best of him because we see that this very rich, very wealthy, though social pariah, a very powerful man, scurries up this sycamore tree like a child would at a parade. This is no place for a man with the status of Zacchaeus. This would be like seeing Donald Trump hanging off of a streetlight on Fifth Avenue trying to see the St. Patrick's Day parade. It would be that absurd. 
if you were to see that, this is what's happening. This curious little man climbs up this tree. And my hunch is, is that he's sort of hoping that the crowds don't see him. He's climbed up in the tree for refuge. He wants to see Jesus, and he needs that height, but he also wants to be covered. He wants to hide. He doesn't want to be found out because he's Zacchaeus. He's the chief tax collector. It's silly for him to be up in this tree. And so this great throng of people who are surrounding Jesus comes down the street. And as they get underneath this tree, Jesus stops. And of course, the whole parade would have stopped as well. And he looks up at the tree and he addresses this hidden little man by name. He sees him. He speaks to him. And don't you know, Zacchaeus is probably turning every shade of red. He's got this big lump in his throat. He doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to want people to notice him up in the tree. But the reaction of the crowds is even more telling because they're not embarrassed. Maybe they're embarrassed for Jesus. Maybe they're thinking, well, he doesn't know who this person is. The crowds, however, mutter. The crowds are stunned because instead of immediately calling Zacchaeus to account for his sin, instead of immediately saying, you see all these people that you have extorted money from, stop it. Instead of that, he invites himself into Zacchaeus' house. He says, I must stay at your house today. Now, who was Zacchaeus? He was a despised tax collector. Tax collectors in general were despised because they were collaborators with the Roman occupiers. They were the ones who overcharged their own people with the power of Rome behind them. And so no one could get out of this tax. And these people could overcharge these poor people and live in a very wealthy way. It was legalized extortion. And he wasn't just a a garden variety tax collector. It says he was the chief tax collector. He was the head of the Jericho cartel. He he would have been the slumlord who owns all of these properties and charges an exorbitant amount of rent on very poor people while he lives in the big house at the top of the hill. That's how people would have thought about Zacchaeus. And so for Jesus, this rabbi, this holy man, to stop and acknowledge him and to say, I want to come into your house and break bread with you, of course the crowds were incensed. Everyone hated Zacchaeus. But what does Jesus do? What does he say to him? He walks right by all the priests. He walks right by all of the good people in society, and he picks out Zacchaeus. And he says, let's hang out. I want to be friends with you, Zacchaeus. And so this isn't a story of a little man overcoming enormous odds. This is the story of a notorious sinner that everyone hated, someone we'd all love to hate meeting Jesus and receiving his grace. Now let's take a, ba- take a step back just a moment and sort of think about this for our own lives before we tell the rest of the story because I think at this place we can see already that there is a place for enormous hope but also extraordinary challenge. We see in this encounter that Zacchaeus has with Jesus enormous hope because what do we find, we find that no one is too far gone for Jesus. No one is beyond the reach of his love 
and His grace. That your problems, no matter how insurmountable they feel, no matter how much you feel like they separate you from the possibility of being loved by God, you're not too far gone. They're not too big. There's nothing about you that God doesn't want to lavish His love upon. And there's nothing going on in your life right now or in the past or in the future that makes you unfit for salvation, that makes salvation impossible for you. Quite the opposite. It's those of us who feel like we're Zacchaeus. It's those of us who acknowledge our own outcastment, as it were. Those of us who feel that we don't have anything to offer, who are probably closest to receiving grace. It's those of us who live on the, in the big house but are despised. It's those of us who have trouble even giving grace to ourselves, who are most ready to meet Jesus. It's enormous hope, but also extraordinary challenge because Jesus embracing Zacchaeus means that all of those people that you despise, those people that you think outside of God's grace, those people who would make us cringe if they were to receive the blessing of God are the ones that Jesus walks right up to and invites them himself into their homes. Maybe for you it's Bill O'Reilly, maybe it's John Stewart. Maybe it's the CEO of Monsanto. Or maybe it's the head of the EPA. Maybe it's the head of the Right to Life Committee. Or maybe it's the president of the local LBTQ, LGBTQ chapter. So I just bifurcated us all. There's apparently no moderates here. Everyone is on one side of the spectrum. But who is it? for you that you have the hardest time giving grace to? Who is the one that if Jesus was to walk into their house, walk up to them and invite himself into their house, that you would cringe, that it would upset your apple cart? We see an extraordinary sinner and Jesus, this holy man. He says, I don't have a scolding speech for you. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, once you stop living the way that you are. There's a place in my house for you. No, he says, I must stay in your home tonight. I'm inviting myself into your life. And notice the word must. I must do this. Remember how we talked about how interconnected Luke was? Luke is, the gospel of Luke? Well, this word must comes up at very important times, very critical times. And Just in chapter 17, Jesus, in predicting his own crucifixion, says he must suffer. He must be rejected. And in chapter 24, the very same thing. There's something about his crucifixion and then his eventual resurrection that he must do this. And there's something that must be then very central, very emblematic to Jesus' ministry when he says, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house tonight. He must do this because otherwise people wouldn't understand fully why Jesus had come. They wouldn't understand fully what Jesus was about and the people that he is for unless he goes to be with Zacchaeus, unless he gives grace to this unlikely notorious sinner. Up until this point in Luke's gospel, it had been the the religious leaders who were incensed by 
Jesus. But now it's the crowds. Him extending grace to Zacchaeus makes everyone mad. Everyone except for Zacchaeus. What does it say about Zacchaeus? He was full of joy. Can you imagine? You go through life rich, though despised. You go through life comfortable, but all alone. And then one day in your adulthood, this holy man comes up to you. The one who people are saying, this is God in the flesh. And he comes up to you and the parade stops. And instead of berating you for the way that you've been extorting your own people, he invites himself into your home. He wants to break bread with you. What does Zacchaeus do? It says he made haste and he came down and received him joyfully. He was overwhelmed that Jesus would have anything to do with him. No one else would. Not only does he see Zacchaeus, he speaks to him. And to have a meal, to stay in someone's home, it, it means this, it's an action of, of solidarity. It's an action of friendship, of social and spiritual embrace. And so, of course, people would be confused. Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house. Now, wherever you're coming from this morning, whatever your your doubts, whatever your religious background, however you may have been taught just by our general culture to conflate Christianity with all the other great religions of the world, this is where Christianity won't be folded in. And if we're willing to listen to that and consider that a moment, there is an extraordinary amount of hope. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. And then subsequently, salvation has come to this house. You see, Jesus is that salvation. That Christianity is not a set of teachings. It's not a moral code. It's not a a philosophy or a value system. But it's a person who brings the life of God into the world once and for all. It's a person. And becoming a Christian is about receiving and welcoming this person, God in the flesh, into your life. And that's what Jesus says is happening here. That salvation is come into Zacchaeus' home. This person, God in the flesh, who embodies salvation, has come for him. And Zacchaeus opens up his life to him. And so finally, who is Zacchaeus? What does Jesus say to to him? And then how does it change him? Jesus makes no demands upon him at first in order to receive his salvation, no demands at all. In fact, it wasn't Zacchaeus seeking Jesus at all. He was curious. He was an onlooker. He wanted to know a bit more. But it wasn't his repentance that drew Jesus in. Jesus comes first. Jesus says he brings salvation into his household. And this type of grace, this type of extravagant, this type of no-holds-barred mercy changes him. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back 
four times the amount. Now, these numerals or these, these figures are very important because instead of the tithe, the, the customary 10%, he decides he's going to give half of what he owns, half of his wealth away on the spot. And then instead of the 120% repayment to those that he had wronged, which was more than likely customary, that you repay someone 120% if you unfairly extract money from them, he gives 400%. And so we see that far more than just changing his belief system, far more than just mentally assenting that Jesus is who he says he is, this is a radical transformation. It's not just buying into a new set of doctrines, but it's a wholesale change of life. And interesting, because Jesus hasn't said anything about money. Zacchaeus had been materially wealthy, but he knew that he was morally and spiritually bankrupt. And when Jesus, when salvation comes, when he receives it, before he ever makes that decision, it prompts him to change. It prompts him to look at the very center of who he is and say, this has had a hold on me. This has been what I've staked my happiness on, and it has made me nothing but miserable. Everybody hates me. And he doesn't give his money away as a sort of quid pro quo, but but because he knew that money had his heart. He wanted to give his heart to someone, to something else. And when he saw himself finally as spiritually wealthy, for the first time in his life, he has someone, God in fact, who delights in him, who comes into his home, who loves on him. Now he sees himself as spiritually wealthy, and suddenly he was able to, in fact, he saw it as a necessity to give away his financial wealth. It's an indication that Jesus has truly come into his life. There's a radical transformation going on here. And money no longer has Zacchaeus. He had given everything to his wealth, to have money, and now no more. And what Zacchaeus is saying is, this isn't me anymore. I have met salvation. I have met God. And instead of berating me, he has loved and embraced me. And therefore, I want to change. Therefore, I have joy. I want to give away those things that have bound me in the past. Now, maybe it's not money for you. Maybe it's comfort which, of course, money is tied to. Or maybe it's approval. Maybe it's success. It's finding the right job. It's finding the right spouse. It's the appearance, your appearance. Maybe it's how different you are from everyone else, all the dumb people that don't know how to do life. Whatever it is, these things can have an enslaving effect upon you. They can own you. And what Jesus steps in, does is he steps into that life. He steps into that moment. And instead of reading off a scolding speech, he says, let me come into your house. Let me break bread with you. Let me love on you. And yes, we'll talk about these sin patterns. Yes, we'll talk about the ways that you've mistreated others, the ways that you've mistreated even yourself. We will deal with that. But they're not a condition upon, which, uh, upon my love. I want to love on you so that you will change. He steps in not with a scolding speech, but with the power 
for you and to, to say that this isn't me anymore. Zacchaeus had spent his whole life collecting debts, only to find his own debts canceled by the lavish love of God, and it changed him utterly. So I invite you, as we confess our faith, as we come to the table, would you lean into that lavish love of God so that you too can be changed? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we would be honest with ourselves. And maybe it would take being honest with someone else and say, you know, I haven't lived a life that is going well. I need to change, but I'm, I'm fearful. Lord, I pray that, that your grace, though unmanageable, though messy at times, is really the key. And I pray that you would let us take hold of that grace in order to change, that we would begin to see transformation in our life, that we would give due diligence to the ways that we have sought to please you with our works, the ways that we have run away from you, Lord, I pray that we would not deal lightly with our our own sin, our own failure, but yet open ourselves up to be embraced, to be loved, to be truly changed by you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.